Hello, everyone. We are excited to welcome Lydia Finnett to the Style That Finds Us podcast. Lydia is a best-selling author. Her books, two of them, the newest one is called Claim Your Confidence. And then her first book, it's called The Most Powerful Woman in the Room, is You. She is a podcaster, which is recent, and it came along in tandem with this new book. She is a principal auctioneer and a public speaker. She has had a remarkable career, and we are so excited to speak with her today. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be on your podcast. Will you start by telling us what do you do and how did you choose that as a career? Well, it's a long answer (laughs) to be a little less complicated, but now I've just accepted the fact that my title is many different things that all are related to one thing. So at the core, I like to say I'm an auctioneer. I worked for Christie's Auction House for over two decades. And one of the things that I loved the most about my role was it gave me the opportunity to be a charity auctioneer. And in the past year, I've left my full-time role to really develop my own company that's based around auctioneering. So as a result of that, I am a public speaker. I have a podcast, as you mentioned, called Claim Your Confidence. I just launched my second book, which is also called Claim Your Confidence, Unlock Your Superpower and Create the Life You Want. That is a follow-up to my first book, The Most Powerful Woman in the Room is You, which really chronicled how I became an auctioneer in my early 20s at Christie's as one of the only women who was doing that at the time. And as a result of all of these things, I like to say that I spend pretty much all of my time speaking, but it's my favorite thing to do. So it worked out well. Amazing. So I would, I wasn't aware that you had left Christie's that, but I can certainly understand why, especially having kids and everything and then coming home and then having to get dressed and go do uh, those auctions at night. It just sounded like so much that you had on your plate. And I think ultimately when you're looking at the over the course of your life, you realize that there are things that you enjoy more at certain times in your life. And for me was such an incredible part of two decades of my life. And then post COVID, as we returned into the place where we were going back into the office, Mm -hmm. I had taken up as a result of a pretty massive pay cut during COVID that was never going to be restored. Mm -hmm. I agreed to stay at the company three days a week, continuing to do my full-time role there. Mm -hmm. And then as a result of accepting that, I was allowed to do two days of marketing my own company. Mm -hmm. It was at the end, I didn't want to do my job at Christie's anymore. I'd fallen in love with this other part. And so it became a natural evolution and it really worked out the best way that it could. So I still serve as an ambassador company, which means that I take auctions on behalf of them. But as a result of that, I've also taken on a role as the principal auctioneer of Broad Arrow Group, which is a new car company that sells collectible cars, which frankly, I never thought I would do, but it's been such a fun new part of my life as well. So the beauty of being your own company, as you know, is you can evolve it in any way you want as many different ways as you want, which really really has always been a, a part of me. I'm a true entrepreneur at heart. Yes, I feel like you are. And also you wouldn't be able to be doing what you're doing now if it hadn't been for this career that you had leading up to it and everything and building out your, you know, your reputation and everything. Um, so it's all super exciting, I think. And I love those stories of your childhood and your father coaching your teams living in this small town outside of New Orleans and all the little hands together 
screaming, never give up before each game, even though most likely you weren't going to win. How has that family mantra helped you throughout your life and your career? Oh, it's so Bob Finette, never give up. Well, <laughs> I really tell this story of being on my father's soccer team when we were growing up. My mother is British, which has informed so many wonderful things about my life. One of them, which was not wonderful or not wonderful for me, but became a huge sort of point of contention with my parents. My father had played football in high school, then played football for Georgia Tech in his earlier years and loved football so much as most Southerners do. And my mother, who's British, was just sort of like, this is a crazy sport. You know, why would you allow your children to play a sport where they're Mm going to head hit so hard? I don't understand. And so she sort of said, listen, they can play football, but they can play um, British football. (laughs) So they can (laughs) And my father, who is just never, he doesn't understand the word no. It's just mm-hmm. for him, he's always like, oh, okay, well, if that's what we're going to do, I guess we'll do it differently. You know, sort of dove into every soccer book possible and came up with this mm-hmm. amazing idea that he was going to have his own team. So my dad's name is Bob. So we became known as the Bobcats. Mm-hmm. And because four kids in my family, it was always sort of, if one's going to do it, you're all going to do it. And so my dad was the coach of our team and my older brother and my younger brother, are very talented soccer players. I was not a talented soccer player, mm-hmm. nor did I actually want to play soccer. So I ended up just doing a lot of cartwheels on the field and um, doing a lot of picking up seats during the time. That was really what I did. And, you know, I thought I had asthma because I didn't want to have to run up and down the field. So anyway, the long and short of it was the Bobcats actually did a fair, a fairly good job of winning. My dad's phrase in life is always never give up. Like, I don't care if we win, I don't care if we lose, but I want to see you going out there and getting every single ball. And that informed my entire way of thinking in life. Because as I go into that same chapter talking about, I went to a very small middle school in Lake Charles, Louisiana. I think my graduating class, my eighth grade class had 12 people in it. And, you know, I played three sports, volleyball, basketball, and I ran track. And we never won a game in the, all four years that I played. So fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, I never won a game. <laughs> as I say in the chapter, it wasn't as if we lost 10 to eight. I mean, we lost two to 50 something. And there was no mercy. <laughs> no one cared whether or not we lost by 50 points. I remember one game they said to the opposing team, don't even put your hands up. But we couldn't score because we couldn't pl- We just weren't good. And so we just right. kept seeing these basketball games over and over again. And I really do think it was such an amazing parenting tool that my parents, Mm -hmm. I say as a parent now, I look back on because they never said to us like, you guys are probably never going to win this. They would be like, listen, that was a tough loss. (laughs) But I think next week to your week. And we were like, you've got it. Off we go, you know, and it just crushed the week after week. But what an amazing life philosophy that you know, you, you can just keep doing something and you realize it's not the end of the world if you don't win. And I went on to a very competitive boarding school where I remember even on the thirds team, there was, we played lacrosse and somebody was like throwing their stick after the game. And I was so confused. I was like, whatever we lost, it's not that big a deal, but (laughs) it's just some people, um, but never give up. I mean, it's just, it's, it's in my bones. It's something my father has always said and something I repeat to myself all the time. It's like, it's okay. Dust yourself up. Let's keep going. Yes, most definitely. Absolutely. Dust yourself off and keep going. That's, that's great. So important. Yeah. I guess it's better than the, everyone gets a trophy mantra that the millennials are constantly, people say that we're bad because we, whatever, that's why we behave the way that we do. 
But anyway, <laughs> well, I don't think I, I don't think that there's a good and a bad in life. I think everyone has the opportunity to take from what you've learned the things that can't speak to you, and you know, some people may not like the philosophy, never give up. I'm sure that there are a lot of people who don't like that. They want to give up and they feel like that's what's going to make them feel better about where they are in life. That's not me. I love the idea that if I keep trying, eventually those losses will add up to something, maybe not winning, but a life lesson that I can apply to something else. Oh my, yes, of course. And then, so your your latest book and podcast, Claim Your Confidence, Self-Confidence is such obviously a huge theme in the book. So will you tell us why do you think some women have more self-confidence than others? I believe that every single one of us is born with confidence. And it's up to us to claim it over the course of our lives. And so the people I see who seem to have more confidence in life are typically the ones who don't allow themselves to live inside a box, that they're completely protected on every side. Nothing is ever challenging or difficult, that they just sort of live in this bubble, which again is fine if that's the way you want to live your life. But the problem is if something happens, all of a sudden when life shifts or inevitably something happens to you that you did not expect or is unexpected in the sort of linear way that you're living your life, you are not going to have the tools to claim your confidence. I believe that you have to push yourself outside of your box, out of your outside of your comfort zone, because then you realize how strong you really are and how much you're capable of. And the more you choose to do that over the course of your life, the more confident you will become not only in yourself, but in the fact that no matter what happens to you, you'll be okay. I think that's so true. I really do. Uh, and I think it's interesting. I think at my age, I think a lot of women are realizing that we have to unlearn these, you know, these notions that we we took as true, that we needed someone stronger and braver to, you know, to come and take care of us and things like that. But for people to realize that actually you were born with confidence. It's just what happened to you maybe during your life and the things that you sort of soaked up from the people around you that maybe knocked your confidence down, but you constantly need to be on the lookout for why you're not feeling confident about something. Like Delia has really pushed me as a business partner when I would say, oh, we can't do that. Or, oh, I'm not going to reach out to her. She constantly says, I don't understand why not. Yeah. Why can't you? And then, of course, as the mother, I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to have to do it because I'm the example that I want to set. <laughs> exactly. Child, so I would have to do it and it would work out. And yeah. then you learn more and more. Actually, I can do this. And probably yeah. no one is coming to rescue me. I saw something yesterday. Audrey Hepburn said, when you're looking for someone to help you look at your own hand. Yeah. Yeah. It's really powerful. And people often forget how strong you are. Oh, I don't have you. Everybody has it. Every single one of us has it. It's a question of whether or not we push ourselves to find out how much we have. Mm -hmm. And I truly think that you live a fuller life when you put yourself outside of those boundaries. And sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes it does, but you know, either way that you're capable of handling anything that happens. You know, before we started this podcast, we were talking about the ski trip that I took. I was with my family. I suffered a really bad spinal injury in a car accident in Halloween of 2021. And I missed the ski season of 2021, 2022. You know, 
am I the best skier in the world? No, but my husband and I have skied together ever since we met. It's something that we really both love to do. It's something that we wanted our children to learn how to do. And last year, I remember watching my whole family going up on the mountain and I was just sort of sitting in the lodge the whole time watching them come down because I couldn't do it. And so this year I went out to Colorado to take an auction in December and I was supposed to fly back in the morning and it started to snow the night before I left. And I texted my husband and I said, you know what? I think I'm going to catch the later flight today and just try to go out on the slopes. And he's like, do it. And I'll tell you, I was really scared. I mean, part of my spinal injury meant that I wasn't allowed to bend over, lift or twist for over six months, just doing rehab and recovery. Um, I had a fractured spine. I had to have a fusion in my lower spine. And as a result, I have a titanium rod, which doesn't allow me to ever really bend over and touch my toes, but I was never very flexible. So that's fine. But <laughs> point is, you know, I had to go and get those boots and the skis. And I was scared out of my mind going up on that chairlift the first time. I mean, think about bending, lifting and twisting are all the things you're doing when you're skiing. And I remember going down the first, the first slope by myself. I was so careful. I mean, I was so mm. careful. I can't even tell you. And I remember thinking the whole time, wait, does this hurt? Is this, is this painful? Is this going to hurt me? And I remember even going over a bump kind of by my sake and being like, Oh, wait, did I feel that? Right. And then I went back up again. And then I went back up again. And by the end of the day, I had completely forgotten about my back injury. And when we went on our ski trip last week, I didn't even think about it. Not once until at the end of the day, one of our friends said, I can't believe you ski like that after having a spinal injury. Right. You know, I hadn't even thought about it this trip. And that's what I mean. It's like, I proved to myself that my back was capable of it. I proved to myself mentally that I was capable of it. So how much stronger was I as a result of just that small mental shift of pushing myself to do that so much stronger? Because now I feel like it feeds into everything. And that can be said for anything you do in your life. Yes, but having the courage to get up there at all. I mean, to think about the whole time, like what could happen? I could end up back in the hospital. I could do something worse. How you can control your brain to not go there with all the, with the scary thoughts and just concentrate and take that challenge on and master it is remarkable. I mean, I know everyone wishes that they could do that. And I guess what I hear you saying is you actually can. You can. I'm no different than anyone else. I am a completely normal person. I am a mom of three. I am exactly the same as anyone else in the world. I just choose to not accept that I can't do things. Mm -hmm. I choose to think I'm going to try. And mm -hmm. if I've proven wrong and I can't do it, well, I've learned my lesson. And then I know. I still think you're very, very brave. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great example for all the BBs in the world and for all people in the world so Lydia my nickname with her is BB and she, <laughs> she's very brave and you know I always think of Delia as that little girl that statue of that little girl down on Wall Street looking up with her hands on her you know her hips. Oh, yeah, of course and for me I'm much more tentative about things there again you know I think the way you know my mother says maybe I coddled you girls too much but I think that it's very brave of you to do these things that you do. It was very brave of you to be in that hospital when your whole family was on stretchers and you tell your kids, we're all fine. We're going to be okay. When you were in so much pain and you didn't know that everybody was going to be okay. No, but as a mom, and you know this too, that yeah. you look around and you realize that there are only, there's only one person who can make them feel safe at that point, And that's you. So 
you know, I've said it a million times. Like I would have taken that injury any day of the week and twice on Sunday, just so that my children's injuries were not severe. And I think that that's all by design in a weird way. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was lucky that that was me and not them. And I would, you know, I, I know I'm strong enough to get through that because as I said, like so much of these confidence that I have in life comes from putting myself into positions where it wasn't comfortable. Um, you know, I talk about travel a lot in the, yes. because I think it's such an important piece of just being thrown into a place where everything is so different and foreign from what, you know, and, you know, I've chosen, and I sort of said this in the book, I used my corporate American express points to get to different places in, over the course of my twenties, when I wasn't really making any money, they let us keep our corporate Amex points. And so I would pay the $75 fee once a year and then just, you know, stuff those points into <laughs> any if I could take. And that for me was such an eye-opening experience because at the time, you know, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have internet. And so, you know, I would go to Thailand with my best friend for three weeks and we would wow. stay there in without anyone really knowing where we were or what we were doing and, you know, have these unbelievable adventures that I look back on and I'm like, wow, what an amazing experience. And mm-hmm. even the first time going to Thailand, I remember just being blown away by this unbelievable place where everything was so different and the language was different. And the, even the way that people drove mopeds in, in the streets was so different. But then the following year we went back because we loved it so much to Vietnam this time. And it felt so, so normal to me because I'd already Ah. seen Thailand and all of a sudden it didn't seem, Asia didn't seem foreign to me. It actually seemed really interesting and dynamic. And, and I've realized that ever since, every time I travel somewhere for the second time, all of the newness and that sort of shock, mm-hmm. of, oh my gosh, isn't there anymore. Um, and I feel more confident in myself being able to navigate those situations. And so travel is again, a huge part of getting out there. And that can be said anywhere, get in your car and mm-hmm. go somewhere different, you know? Yeah. Delia had said to me, I'm so angry because I was so fearless in New York city and going on the subways and being out at night and, you know, and then COVID and all the things happened and, you know, that's hard to fight that. And just like you did with your accident, it's like coming back from that and regaining your, your footing in the world is difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's an Edison quote about, I have not failed 10,000 times. I've successfully found 10,000 ways that will not work. I really like <laughs> perspective. <laughs> so true. It's so true. <laughs> I really love how you include personal examples of times that you have hit bumps in your career to show us that you made it through. And so will we. Will you tell us about your first book tour and the woman in the back row? <laughs> oh, you know, going back to what I talk about with claiming your confidence, I always think that people think if you are successful, that nothing bad ever happens to you. And that's why you can be confident. And so I opened my book with the story of my first book tour for the most powerful woman in the room is you. And I kicked it off at Christie's in New York with this beautiful dinner in the boardroom. And then it was sort of two weeks of a dream. It was kind of everything I'd ever wanted in New York. I had book parties every night. I was on the Today Show. I spoke at CBS. I mean, it was just one thing after another. I could not have asked for anything to go better. And I flew out to San Francisco to another, I thought, sort of week of incredible events that had been lined up. 
I'd been in charge of managing most of them. So I had a really good sense of what most of them were going to be like. And I'd been asked by a bookseller to come and do a talk at their bookstore. And I arrived in San Francisco. I was staying with my best friend. I got up early the night, the day of, took a nice long run. It was the most beautiful bluebird day. And I got in the car on the way there. And I remember just thinking like, this is such an amazing time. It's going to be so great. My best friend had done full hair and makeup. She's It's almost like staying with Glam Squad because she's so good <laughs> at makeup. So she'd done my hair and makeup. And I basically went to the book event and Uber was kind of, as I was going, you know how the, sometimes you'll be in an Uber and it says you're going to be there at a certain time and the time starts creeping up. And by the time I was about to get out of the car, I think there were maybe 10, maybe nine minutes until the book event started. And I sprinted through the ferry passage to get, or the ferry building to this, to this small bookstore where I was supposed to be doing a moderated talk with another charity auctioneer for around 50 people. And I threw open the door and I look and I see the charity auctioneer sitting at the front. And then I see one person seated in the front row. And I was sort of like, oh, in my mind, it's that immediate, you know, the power of positivity. I was like, oh, I must have gotten the time wrong. Lucky me, you know, I have extra time. But then I looked at the bookseller and she looked a little sheepish. And I realized that there was one person at the book talk. And uh, the door opened behind me. And of course, I, I turn around thinking that there are going to be a flood of people. And a woman walks up and is like, do you have a gluten-free cookbook? And I was sort of like, oh, my God. <laughs> Sister's best friend walked in. So now there was a witness to this crime. And it just kept getting worse and worse. I tried to recruit people. They were like, no. And finally, when we agreed to start it, which was probably five minutes after noon, there was a woman who had pulled her shopping cart into the back of the room and just judging by her appearance and everything, I, I was pretty sure that she was homeless. And the bookseller said to me, listen, I, you know, she comes in and listens sometimes she, she might be a little disruptive, but she means well. And I was like, listen, I'm a charity auctioneer and that's another person. Like, I don't care who's here, <laughs> another person in the seat, please, by all means. And basically, as soon as the moderated conversation started, the woman in the back of the room started heckling me. So everything I said, she would either repeat back to me or make some comment. And, you know, it's just like if you can imagine having been on the high that I was in in New York and then having to sit there for half an hour while someone was like sort of yelling mm. at me, I was like, this really is an incredible moment of just what confidence takes. You know, and because I'm a charity auctioneer, I started integrating what she was saying into my talk. So if she would make a comment, I would comment back and, and make it so it didn't seem that awkward. But let's be honest, there were six people at my book talk and I was being heckled by someone. And yeah. I said, the last line of the event, I said to someone, I mean, I said to everyone, you know, does anyone have any questions? And I remember she raised her hand and she said, uh, I don't have a question, but the next time that you do this, you should make it a potluck. And I kind of <laughs> laughed and I said, Actually, you know, as a, as a charity auctioneer, we always serve food. And more importantly, we have an open bar. And she said, nope, that's the reason I ended up on the street. And I was like, <laughs> this is really, wow, this is really on every level, not what I expected. A story to tell, right. Yeah. And so I thought about that that night when I went to my next book event, which one of my friends had thrown with three other amazing women in San Francisco. And it, I sold out of all my books well, well before the event was over. Mm -hmm. And there was a line out the door. It was just kind of everything you want in a book event. Mm -hmm. And a few of us went to dinner afterwards. She put together a small dinner afterwards. And as we sat down, everybody started peppering me with questions about how amazing the book tour was. And let's be honest, I have Instagram like everyone else does. And it's a highlight reel as it is for most people. Mm -hmm. I hadn't exactly mentioned the fact that no one had shown up for my book tour moment earlier that day. And I realized that 
was where confidence was born. If I could tell that story and show people that even at the pinnacle of my career, I was still getting hit in the stomach. And just like everyone else, I was mortified that maybe people would understand that that's the reason you put yourself out there because it doesn't matter if you have a million events. It doesn't matter if you have a bad event, you can handle all of it. And that's what confidence is. It's being able to tell that story and laugh about it and not hide from it and feel so embarrassed that you would never want to share that because it's the human experience. That's what it's all about. It goes right back to as a child, you know, never give up, never give up. Absolutely. It's amazing. Um, Another thing I really liked about both books is that you give actionable steps. You know, there are a lot of books about self-help books and things like that, but um, I felt both times I couldn't wait to, you know, to keep reading it. And somebody said to me, Sophia Shabbat, I think she said, oh, I read it in one sitting. You know, it was so it was so great. But anyway, you give actionable steps in this book as well. What are a few of the most important ones that you can share? I mean, I know it's they're all scattered through the book, but can you give us a couple of big ones? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think without a doubt, one of my top tips when it comes to claiming your confidence is to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. And when I say that, I really mean find a way every week to think about something you can do that you think you can't do and push yourself to do it. Even if it's really small, it doesn't have to be big. Just think of one thing that you don't think you can do and try it and be okay if it doesn't work out. Because that's the other thing. We all hold ourselves to the standard that everything we do has to be perfect when in fact, that's not actually where you learn anything. If everything's really easy for you, then you're not doing it right in many ways. You've got to try the harder things and do the things that don't feel as great. So I would say start there. Um, another another thing that I really talk a lot about is the power of positivity. You know, this was something that I'd always believed in. And certainly when it came to the accident, it really helped me get through a very difficult time, constantly believing that I had the ability to shift the narrative and I had the ability to control the situation mentally about whether or not it was positive or negative. Every single time I talk a lot about the cumulative effect of negativity. You know, you wake up in the morning, you don't feel great. So then the first thing that happens, it immediately puts you in a worse headspace. And then you keep going down from there. And as a result of that, you might take it out on people. Maybe you take it on your kids. Maybe you take it on your coworkers. Maybe you take it out on the person who serves you coffee at Starbucks. But ultimately what you have to realize is you have the ability to control all of that mentally. You just have to stop yourself Every single time you start going into that negative spiral and think, okay, these five things that I think have made up this horrible day, are these related? No, probably not. There were probably individual things that you were ha- that were happening over the course of the day that just happened on the same day. So really take ownership of the things that you think are going to be negative and see if there's a way to shift them into the positive. So, you know, as I I go back to a lot of the stories I tell in the book, but one specifically was about a really bad morning where it started snowing and then sleeting and then raining. I was running late. I ended up flying across the subway floor because I was running, which you're never supposed to do on a subway platform, especially when it's sleeting with ripped toes. And probably in heels. Yeah. And the contents of my purse everywhere. And I really thought in that moment about, I had the ability to completely ruin everyone's day from that moment on. You know, I ran a team. It's so easy for me to walk in in a bad mood and have everyone else be in a bad mood. It's a trickle down effect. Same with my kids, mm-hmm. same with my husband. Like negativity is so easy. Yes. But I think when we stop thinking about ourselves 
and we stop thinking about the power of positivity only for us, but rather how it impacts everyone around us. And we realize that it's not mm -hmm. about us all the time, mm -hmm. that we also have the ability to think how great we can be for other people, which mm -hmm. helps power positivity as well. And that takes it to another level because, you know, people are aware of the idea of, you know, being positive that helps you and your day, but taking it to the next level of how it's going to affect the other people around you. I always, when people, you know, say, well, this is probably not going to work and all that kind of stuff. It's like, we have a 50-50 chance at least that it's going to mm -hmm. go well. Mm -hmm. One thing that I, when that, something like that happens with your book tour that messes me up is that you could get distracted by you keep thinking about the situation instead of just being like, okay, this is what's happening and I'm going to make the best of it and not think about it. So do you have any tips about how to get, not get distracted thinking like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. Like no one's here. I do, which is okay. put a smile on your face and realize that you will survive. I mean, honestly, it's that easy. It mm -hmm. stinks to go through a situation like that. And let me tell you, I just started my book events. We're around my second book. And you have to know that when I did my first book signing at McNally Jackson and Rock Center, I was so nervous going into it that no one was going to show up. I can't even tell you. I mean, I was sitting there like, please, God, let <laughs> this event, yeah. you know, did, which was so wonderful. And that was a part of that too, was because I'd realized that it takes me putting a lot of information out there about these book events, which mm -hmm. I didn't think I had to do, you know, mm -hmm. in my mind, I was already John Grisham on the first day of my, <laughs> which by the way, is not the case. So, you know, if you need to sell something, if you want to sell something, you have to really put yourself out there. And so I did around my, my first book signing for my second book. And a lot of people showed up and that felt great, you know, but know that you are not going to die. And right. as I say in the first book, someone said this to me at a book event once that she'd worked in a call center and had been rejected over 10,000 times. So she mm. liked that she had a Teflon shield around her. Mm. I borrow that a lot, a Teflon mm -hmm. shield, keep the positive inside and let the negative bounce off. Mm -hmm. And that is a really important part of life. You can't always be perfect. Things are not always going to be great. So stop expecting them to be and understand that sometimes there are going to be moments that really hit your ego hard and that's okay. It's okay to be hit and to feel down. That's part of life. You know, lows, lows are low and highs are high because you know the opposite. So accept that those moments are tough, accept that you will survive, accept that you will move on. Great advice. Really, really good advice. Uh, that we need to be often reminded of, you know, especially like after you've had one experience, you know, to go in and not think this is going to happen again, but to be able to concentrate, be in the moment and, and go from there. Absolutely. I really do believe this book can change women's lives. I know it's changed mine. It's, it's a great part um, of this journey that I feel that I'm on at age 60 of unlearning and adapting, you know, to new ways of thinking and claiming my confidence and independence. Yeah. And I think that both books serve this purpose. And like you said, the first one sort of led on led to the next one. So would you tell us a little bit about the first one? Because I highly recommend that everyone read both. Yes, absolutely. So the first book is The Most Powerful Woman in the Room is You. And mm -hmm. I wrote it because every single time I get off stage as an auctioneer, or certainly when I was younger, there was always a young woman who was standing stage left who would say something along the lines of, 
you know, I could never do what you do. I could never sell anything. I'm so bad at selling. When people, re- when people reject me, they are rejecting what I've created. And I remember thinking, listen, I grew up in Louisiana. My mother is British. I did not grow up in cultures where women were taught to go after things with abandon, certainly not selling everything, <laughs> you know? And I really took a pause and thought to myself, like, where did I learn this? And I realized that I had learned it on stage and I had learned so much of it from getting rejected night after night as an auctioneer. There's always an underbidder to a, you know, to a winning bidder. There's always someone who tells, you no. And a lot of what I like to think has been my skill on stage is understanding how to turn that no into a yes and learning how to sell against that no and realize that there's often a way to craft the message that is more appealing, that makes people shift their thinking and can come along with you for the ride. And once I learned that, I, I truly believe being Southern is very helpful in that. There's a graciousness that I learned just growing up. And it's kind of almost inherent in a lot of the things and the people that I interfaced with when I was a child mm-hmm. that has served me so well on stage. I remember going to auctions, especially with some of my guy colleagues at, early on in my career. And they would get into these confrontations with people in the audience about whether or not they were going to buy something. Oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't put your hand down. I know how much you made last year, Steve, or they're uh, like that Rolex on your, on your wrist looks like it could buy something for, you know, uh-huh. and I just remember always thinking, first of all, no Southerner would ever do that because uh-huh. as we catch more bees with honey, yeah. but also from stage, the graciousness and, you know, the charm offensive is, uh-huh. is and say when I'm on stage, like that's really the way that I work is the way that I live my life. I don't go to the negative when something goes wrong. I actually usually go to the positive mm-hmm. because I feel like people respond more better to that. And so the most powerful woman in the room is you was essentially written because I thought that there was a way that could be taught to sell. Women could be taught to sell in a way that felt more authentic them. They didn't want to get on stage and say, you know, Steve, you need to bid more. That's not the right. way that woman would sell most of the time, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. there would be the perception that she's coming across in a different way. I found strength in another way of selling. I found strength in leaning into the positivity, into that graciousness, mm-hmm. that to me, into that femininity, mm-hmm. that to me is how selling can be done in a way that made me feel like I was doing it the way I wanted to do it. And that's what the book is about. That's amazing. It makes me think of, we were talking with Deborah Roberts the other day and we were talking about, she's from Georgia, as you know. And so we were talking about um, steel magnolias, that idea. Yes. Uh, and I believe that with every part of my being when, you know, when it gets down to it, like you said, don't mess with a Southern woman. It's like, yeah. we would be as nice to you as you could possibly imagine until you come after us. <laughs> but, there's such a strength and there's such a yeah. strength in it. And again, I think that goes back to, how you choose to be, to live your life and how you choose to treat the people around you. And I've always found it really interesting. I talk a lot about going to boarding school in the Northeast in my book. You know, I went to boarding school in Connecticut when I was 13. Those are really formative years. And there were so many misperceptions about what it was to be from the South. Mm -hmm. And I still find them in New York now. You know, a lot of people will tell me things about the South, having never even visited the state of Montana or Mississippi and, and sort of try to tell me things about the place that I grew up. And I oftentimes will say to them, you should visit yourself. You should see with your own eyes, because I think something completely different than what you think about this place. And it's been an interesting, it's been interesting to live half of my life in both ways because flip side, when I go home to the South, 
there are a lot of things that are said about New York. And I often oh, yeah. think if you actually were here and understood, you would see that most people are the same. It's, right. it's about family. It's about wanting to be loved. It's about living a life that feels true and right to them. And that's the greatest unifier that we all have, mm-hmm. but we lose sight of that sometimes. We really do. And it's it, again, talking about travel, the women I work with, let's say in Greenwich, Connecticut, are the same women as the ones I work with in Birmingham, Alabama. You know, we, we're all, you know, like you said, we have a lot of uh, commonality. You know, that's really what the world needs to realize now, for sure. Anyway, I think that both books are really, really must reads for every woman. And it doesn't matter if you have a high powered career or, you know, if you have, uh, if your career is, is in the home. You know, I think as women, especially, we're stronger together. And if we can find our confidence, we're unstoppable, truly. Yeah. And I say that in the books, like the book is, if you want to be the CEO of a company, the CEO of your home, like, right, this is something we all get and we all should have, regardless of what we're doing with our lives. It's a question of claiming it. And how it affects those around you, your children, obviously, but any other relationships that you have, you can you can really uh, make positive change in other people's lives as well, even without knowing it, you know, even if that's not the goal. You mentioned in the previous answer about crafting or changing your message if it doesn't seem to be hitting or working, and then also storytelling, consumer psychology, all of these different things. Do you have any tips? Will you expand upon that? Everyone, I've been told, over the years, every time I go into a meeting or I'm listening to a sales call, I will have, or I will listen to somebody make, which I think is one of the biggest mistakes you can make in selling, which is that you go in with the same pitch time and time again. Even if the thing that you are pitching, the thing that you're selling is the same product, everything you need to know about the person sitting across the table from you in a sales meeting, they can tell you in the first two minutes of the conversation. You know, one of the greatest ways to sell right now is we've all been through an insane couple of years. It is a global unifier, no matter where you were in the world, had a different experience, some good, some bad, some businesses went well, some businesses went away. Mm -hmm. But by asking the simple question, you know, it's been a tumultuous couple of years. How's everything been with your business? Mm -hmm. You right there will have somebody tell you everything you need to know about what they have and what they can afford in that moment. Mm -hmm. You know, I know there are so many people who make the mistake of going into a meeting thinking, okay, these are the 10 things I have to sell. I'm just going to jump it on it right now. This is what I want to tell you about. Like, no, what is that person telling you? I've had a really bad couple of years. So why are you going to go in there selling for all 10 of those things at the highest price you have? Like you need to tailor your sales to the person sitting across from Mm -hmm. you. One thing that will serve you incredibly well anytime you're in a meeting with someone that you don't know. So ask that question and then listen to their response. And then as they're telling you what they're doing, you need to be thinking about how what you can sell is going to provide them with what they need, right? So you have a service, right? If someone says to you right off, you ask them about the past couple of years, they're like, well, it's been a rough couple of years. You know, my business is doing X or Y or, you know, whatever it is. And you say to that person immediately, okay, well, here's, you know, here's this incredible ostrich piece that I want. Like, what do you want? <laughs> like that's, and that's what I always say. People in sales tend to think, oh, I'm just going to sell, 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 sell. Right. Sales is a long-term game. 
especially right. in a business where you need a, a customer to come back to you time and time again. They will do that if they trust you. So don't burn that trust by disregarding everything they've said and selling right. what you have. Exactly. Most definitely. Every single person or business that you work with is completely unique in their needs. And to think that there's some sort of a formula for that is, you know, detrimental for everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Lydia. We loved having you and we would like to ask where can people find you and what is coming next? So right now I'm really focusing on my book launch for Claim Your Confidence, which as we talked about is available anywhere, but I love to throw people into the independent bookstores or the women-owned bookstores. So if you have either in your community and you don't have the book, go in there and tell them to get it so you can buy it from them. Um, Claim Your Confidence, the podcast comes out every Tuesday morning. And I just started that in collaboration with Rockefeller Center. I have amazing guests coming up, everyone from Glenn Close to whom Abedin, really strong, amazing women, especially in the next couple of weeks. So be sure to listen in on that. And then finally, you can always follow me on Instagram at Lydia Finette. I'm busy, busy, and it's a fun ride. So come along. (laughs) You are busy, busy. We all are. (laughs) Especially are. But I think even looking at your Instagram will, you know, push people out of their comfort zones. Okay. She's taking on, you know, triple black. Obviously, I'm talking about myself. When I saw that, I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> get busy <laughs> not just me anyone can do it so put yourself well, out of your comfort zone you're wonderful all right well we're really proud of you and we uh thank you so much for both of these books because they really are life enhancing if not completely life-changing and uh, we look forward to seeing you soon all right perfect thank you so much mm-hmm. thank you bye right, everyone bye. see you next time Thank you for tuning into this episode on the Style That Binds Us podcast. If you like this podcast, make sure to tell a friend and subscribe. You can be a part of growing with us. Also, do you know about our weekly newsletter? You'll get access to exclusive content in our newsletter that we don't post anywhere else. Our newsletter comes out every Tuesday with the exception of the third Thursday of the month for Allison's special Celebrating Life After 40 edition. Head to the bottom of the Style That Binds Us website to subscribe.